welcome to MGO Podcast 14.16. I know this one's a little late, but we had to spend several weeks in a sensory deprivation tank after the Fiesta Bowl. Dave, I hear you have some scintillating content for us. <laughs> so we, I mean, we, we went to the game. I mean, you, you went to the game, um, and we're sitting in like the end zone uh, with the with the TCU side, and um, it's really flat. Like when you get down close to the field, like the like it's not stadium seating, whatever the opposite of stadium seating is, and like we get there early, and then these people come in front of us, and they're ginormous like six six two fifty three hundred like two dudes and then the one there was a woman that was sitting in between them and she was um not a small gal either and so we're all just you know you know craig isn't the tallest person i'm relatively average and and sue's relatively short and so you were all kind of like well all right because <laughs> you're not really gonna be able to see it and we didn't have a great angle anyway but um so we're watching the game and they're nice and friendly and everything so probably I think mid to late third quarter, um, the guy that was larger guy that was standing in front of Craig turns around and says, Hey, you're, you're David Ross. And he goes, Craig, he's like, Craig Ross. Yes. From the radio. And Craig kind of smiles and laughs and we're like, eh, we've done this. And then he looks at me and he goes, and you're Dave Nasternak. And I was like, taken aback. Like what? he's <laughs> like, well, I knew it was you. Cause you're calling out all the plays. And Cause I mean, Craig and I talk and one of our things is that we don't sit next to each other so that other people in the group can be part of the conversation because if we just sat there and talked about this person's on the field or whatever. So Sue's kind of in the middle. And so we just kind of looked at each other and, and, and cause we, we talk about all the different little idiosyncrasies during the game. And so the guy's like, just, he turns to his wife then who is, I guess the, the lady in the, in the middle. I was like, these guys are my heroes. Like I listened to all of their stuff, like the whole MGO thing, Seth Fisher and Alex. And he just starts going on like, in the middle of this game. We're just like, okay. And um, so after the game, obviously we're all you know pretty down. And and he's like, hey, I know you guys are really bummed, but like, can I get a picture with you guys? We're just like, I mean, sure. So he takes a picture, and and it that that whole thing just kind of stuck with me because it was like, you know, we drove, we flew all the way across the country, and and everybody's bummed and and everything. But like, you know, Brian, we met up with you there, and um, I met up with you know three or four other sets of people at different times. And it's just kind of cool, like, not just the Michigan community, but sort of like what the MGO community has done. And that, like, not just that people recognize us, but they want to talk to us. And, like, the things that you do, you kind of make friends that way. And then um, it's just like a a thing where you, you're kind of making a difference in somebody's life just because you're doing your job. And then somebody wants to meet with you, and then you talk with them, and they're like, yeah, you know, we're pretty nice people. And it was really nice to meet you and hope we see you again. I don't know. I just like, obviously I've done that with friends and stuff, but it's just kind of a different thing. Cause it's a bunch of people you've never met. And all of a sudden they want to sit down and have a conversation with you. And I, I just, I, I don't know. It, it was a little bit bigger <clears throat> than the game. And I know with this is probably going to be a depressing podcast because obviously, but to me, it was sort of like a, I don't know, a life takeaway of like, there's, there's good connections out there, even when bad things happen. Is that a thing? Yeah. 
I just want to know what plays you were calling out. <laughs> was it no, like, oh, here comes the bullshit fumble well, on the one-yard line? No, but I was calling out first down play action several times right before <sighs> the Wil- Roman Wilson touchdown that wasn't that actually was. Were you, were you predicting it or or just uh, asking I said they need to it. go play first okay. down play action here. They can hit this. Yeah. Oh, was it was it because like you you know you know this team backwards and forwards because Michigan had run for like zero yards into nine safeties like every it's other. It's because first I watched down, a lot of football down. and I believe that if you go first down play action, was, it was works it because, a lot of times. Was it because their their free safety, the ninth guy in the box, was running hell pell <laughs> for the running back, and we get Michigan got zero yards while JJ is just like, oh, I'm not part of the running game yet because that's how we do. Oh, All right. I- so I, have a, I have a I have a thing we need to talk about that because I I I was screaming that too in the third quarter yeah, I after have my pivoted there because rewatch. I should have pivoted to the uh to the sponsors first. Ah, here we go. Brian, you can talk now. All right. Well, I will I will shout out our sponsors. Thank you to Underground Printing for making this all possible. Check them out at ugpmichiganapparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the mgoblogstore.com. We'd also like to thank our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Homeshire Lending, Ticket IQ, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grant, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, and we are recording this on Signal Wire. We're all very tired. We're usually at 4M. Um, <clears throat> all right, so DCU 51, uh, Michigan 45 in one of the most delirious games I have ever experienced. Uh, I was trying to put it in some context, and the best I came up with is what if that Illinois game with Denard was a playoff game. <laughs> and I was, uh, no, I, no, it was, that's it was, your comp is the 2010 Illinois game. The 67 65 game. Yeah, I know. Did Michigan get down by three scores in that game? Or was it just like, a, I, I can't remember the scoring uh, yeah. order in that one. I just remember all the scoring. Tate Forcey, I think had to bring him back because Denard went out injured. In that yes, game. he did. Yeah. Hmm. And Forcey had to, had to, had to win the game. So, but like it, just in terms of just like sheer number of points plus i mean there probably should have been another 14 michigan points um or at least 10 so not just the fact that michigan put up 45 but that you know and that game went to overtime i think it was triple overtime three overtimes so, and gerg gerg finally blitzed on the last two point conversion the quarterback <laughs> had to throw it away and the uh so just in terms of like the amount of scoring in a regulation period of a, of a football game, that is the only comparable I have ever experienced in person or watched probably involving Michigan. <clears throat> so my comp was Michigan, Ohio state 06 because the 41, 42 game. No, no, it was like, I think it was 41, 38 and, oh, but it was oh, like Michigan's like right back in it. They're always sort of like one score down. If they just get a stop here, like they right. get the ball back and, and all the offenses are just scoring like crazy and you needed one stop. And like Michigan had two or three chances to do it and just couldn't. And, you know, Troy Smith made plays and then they got a penalty and it's right. just like, that's, I, I don't know. That's oh, what I yeah. Like, but. yeah. I mean, that, that is, that was fairly similar. I remember I went to that game too and Michigan scored on uh, their, their opening drive. And I'm like, all right, that's a third of the points we need to win. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, in, in scoring, yes, but like that game, I did not feel at any point that Michigan was like the better team. I was like, okay, these are two awesome teams, and they're just kind of giving each other haymakers. This game, I was like, well, Michigan's the better team. It's just everything that happens to us happens to be like you can't just throw a, a, a you know you can't throw a pick. You have to throw a pick six. 
You can't just like you can't just fumble the ball and and get it back. You have to fumble the ball into the end zone so they get the ball on the twenty on first and goal. Uh, it's just like every little thing that went wrong was maximally wrong to the point where it's hard to look at like the little plays in the game because they just get washed out by these humongous swings. Yeah. So the overall narrative of this is that when things went badly for Michigan, they went as badly as they can possibly go. So game on paper, which is one of Jamie Mack's favorite sites is something I've started looking at more. And there were four different plays in this game with an estimated points added of more than a touchdown. Uh And they all went TCU's way. They're the two pick sixes. There's the 76 yard touchdown. And then there's the, the Mullings fumble into the end zone and Michigan picks up uh, the next four plays which are worth, you know, six, four, four and a half, four, and four points. It's just that TCU plays were worth 7.1, 7.2, 7.3, and nine. So <laughs> right. I, I don't really know if there's a larger narrative to pull from this game in terms of like where the program is, because there's this thing about how Michigan shot itself in the foot, and that's true to some extent. And to some extent, TCU did the exact same thing. Yeah, because they had the fumble on the twenty-nine, and there's that pick uh, for Sainer still where that that should be a completion. Yeah, that's a first down. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a first down and a chunk play out to the fifty, and he just bats it directly to a Michigan defensive back. That's not something that the this website can account for, right? Can't account for the fact that that sh- should have been a huge swing play the other way. Um, <clears throat> so I think both teams kind of came out. And the moment sort of overwhelmed them in terms of information processing on both sides of the ball. <laughs> um, and you got this completely delirious game uh, that Michigan comes out on the wrong side of. But, I mean, they had a chance to win. They couldn't really put a drive together at the very end. So <clears throat> it's, uh, it's just, I mean, you look at this box score, like Michigan has a total EPA of negative 0.8. TCU has an total EPA of negative 4.8. So this was a, like, Michigan got 55% of its available yards. TCU got 56% of its available yards. So it really was very close in a lot of different areas, and it is a came down to a razor-thin margin. <clears throat> but just in terms of talking about the offense, we'll, we'll shift from a more of a over overview to actually talking about sort of the nitty-gritty details as seth has already mentioned tcu's approach to this run game was insanely aggressive the point where i think michigan just couldn't comprehend it (laughs) because the the way this goes is that the team is insanely uh, aggressive and then they back off after you burn them this is what this is what ohio state did in the third quarter on michigan's very long drive as they finally like backed off it did not matter how many bombs J.J. McCarthy hit over the top. TCU's approach did not waver, and so you get Donovan Edwards has a 54-yard carry on his first from scrimmage, and then he gets about 60 yards on his other two 22 carries. And there was only one thing that I think could have changed that, and that would be involving J.J. McCarthy earlier. Now, McCarthy did not have a carry in this game until the third quarter. And if you're going back and you're looking at things that are not just this was a delirious game, but this was a mistake that Michigan made. 
I think that's the number one because Michigan did not have the opportunity to get explosive based on their quarterback's legs. And when McCarthy started running it, it just worked. Like that was part of Michigan's second half surge. And I'm much more in the camp of you want to establish that in the first half because then your running back can go to work in the second half, a la both Ohio State and Penn State, where Michigan gets huge explosives in the second half because the opponent has to account for the quarterback's legs. And I don't know why you would have that off for half of football. So when I did my rewatch, unfortunately, on the, I think it was their second drive. I, I don't have the drive marked, but he gave a ball on third and four where the yes. edge came yes. flying in. Oh my God. That So I, I, cause I was screaming in the third quarter when he finally, they had a couple of runs for him and I was like, where was this the whole game? And, you know, and truth is, is it probably was there at least on that play because I mean, that backside is wide open and it's probably a touchdown. I mean, they had the wide receivers had their blocks and the guy from the edge was, I mean, he was he gone. Was gone. Yeah. And I, I, so all he does is pull the ball and he's out in space and he's at least got a first down, if not a touchdown. So I, I want to be a little softer on the game planning there because that was okay. probably a good call. But this goes back to what they were all year where they were so petrified of having AJ McCarthy get hit that they're having him run out of bounds in situations where it doesn't make any sense. And I think in most of Michigan's games that the keep read on those plays was not live. And so how many times did he actually read that out in a live ball situation? And how many times did he just hand off and not have that precision down? And I I feel like some of the things in this game go back to Michigan's very conservative approach to getting McCarthy hit. And, you know, it's, it's a very strange thing where it's like, okay, we can't lose JJ McCarthy. We can't get him hit, but we're going to, we're willing to run Blake Corum 29 times in a game over and over and over again. And was that a contributing factor to Blake Corum's injury? I don't know. It's impossible to say these things, but you, every time you give him the ball, you're putting him in a situation where he could get hurt. And I think, you know, that's the reality of football. And so you should probably just live with the fact that JJ McCarthy is going to run the ball five or six times every game. And those, those reads are going to be live every game. And I just don't think they did that. And so when it came down to crunch time where it's like, okay, we really got to do this. There were some huge mistakes in that realm. And then also when he was dropping back to pass, he has two pick sixes. He's otherwise very good in this game, but how, how much of that was the fact that, he didn't have as many attempts as a lot of other quarterbacks in their first years. And he didn't get to throw that pick against some team where it wasn't going to matter. I thought you were going to say Rutgers. And I was like, Ooh, that would have made that Rutgers game really tight. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, but yeah, but your, your point is good. And the, the point I wanted to make is it was the free safety coming on that third and four. That's not a guy that you're used to reading. Now, if you run that play a lot, teams that run a lot of zone read, and are practicing that against different looks, will pick up on the fact that it's a weird guy coming in from the edge that's that's not normally the guy you're reading. Because he walks down from a one high, and then he's actually coming down, and then the other safety rolled up. You notice that if you run this a lot. But that's, you know, a 300 or 400 level course in zone read U, and Michigan never gets past the 100 level of, of, of that play because it's just not part of their... It's not a huge part of their offense. And when you have a guy like J.J. McCarthy, and this is really going into next year, 
JJ's legs need to be a major part of the offensive plan from the very beginning of the season next year. I mean, you'd hope this is not something that has historically been like what Jim Harbaugh does. Like Jim Harbaugh has very disrespectful game plans for most of the year. (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) like, I mean, you you get here and you have this game. I don't want to overstate it. Like there were a lot of things that Michigan did in this game that did take advantage of what TCU was doing. I mean, McCarthy throws for 10 yards an attempt and Michigan actually outgains them. And, you know, McCarthy is hitting dimes downfield to bell and he's got Roman Wilson open for two huge plays. They run a flea flicker that is so wide open that I wanted him to run it on the next play. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep running flea flickers until one of the safeties is like, Oh, okay. There's no way they can do it again. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I was doing all game. I have a theory that if Michigan ran six consecutive flea flickers in this game, they would score six touchdowns. Like, That is, I just could not believe. What's your hot that take if you already use that one? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this game uh, will suffer many, many hot takes, I'm sure. Um, but so, other than the interceptions and the issues that with the zone reads we've discussed, this was sort of a McCarthy coming out party. He hit, I think, almost all his deep balls. I think there were maybe one, one or two that were off, and. Roman Wilson and Ronnie Bell both average over 20 yards a reception. Uh, Luke Schoonmaker has a 32-yarder before he goes out for the game. And hard to it's hard to say but the two worst passes of his career. <laughs> but this was a game where like they had to put it on his shoulders and you know but for a fumble on the 1-yard line, Michigan I mean game states and all that, but Michigan scores enough points to win this game even with the 14 you spotted the other team. I think he got better as the game went on. Like his first half, he missed some throws and he did a couple things that you're like, all right, he's a little, like you said, jittery. But in the second half, I mean, I think I only had him for like three or four negatives. And one of them was unfortunately that pick six. And the dumb thing about that is I think he has Wilson or is it Bell? I think it was, it was Bell, Bell on the, on the yeah. out behind yeah, it. And it's does. like, man, that is wide open. Yeah, it was wide open and it's to the same side of the field as the actual throw. Yeah, and, and Loveland's like jammed off the line. Like there's no, yeah, he's, even, he's even not if really there's open. no outside linebacker, yeah. the guy, I mean, it's not a catch anyway. I mean, but those things happen in games. You throw interceptable passes yeah, and many of them are not intercepted. They tick off a guy's finger. They're too high. The guy can't catch it, or there's a tackle there. And and JJ's mistakes in this game were very bad, but I think it's just you know, misfortune that made them so so bad. Well, yeah. and he gets away with the one that he hits like a football size window, right? Like in the first half when he throws the ball and it oh, fits on the... between literally three hands. Yeah, yeah. On the but like, on the... I, I, I mean, we looked at each other like, well, is that a good throw? Uh, I guess, but it was not highly recommended. <laughs> I mean, what he was doing on that play is he doesn't even look at that one. Do you notice? Like, he was looking to the other side, and that's what gets the safety. So he thinks he's got that safety going out into the flat, and he doesn't look him back. So he actually, that's what creates the space. Now, I would not recommend throwing no-look passes into triple coverage. (laughs) But, I mean, you have to give him credit that he did that, and that's what created the opening. Yeah, and so you look at 
the program going into next year and you feel pretty good about McCarthy with another year of experience. You feel pretty good about Donovan Edwards. You lose Andrew Anthony, which is a bummer. You lose Ronnie Bell. You get Wilson back. It looks like Cornelius Johnson's coming back. <clears throat> You're probably going to have one of those younger guys step up. and Maybe even two. I mean, Morris has been playing. Like, he played in that Rutgers game a little bit, and he's getting snaps. He had, like, two big snaps here and was open on a first down that J.J. threw the out to, I think it was Bell that fell down, and he had Morris for a first down. You're just like, Ugh. Yeah, he's kind of the like, next there's... Ronnie Bell coming through the program, and they're talking about him that way. I saw it when I was looking at his recruiting profile. Like, there's a guy, if you want to buy low right now, it's Tyler Morris. And people are super high on Clemens, too. Like, he's yeah. supposed to be, like, has the, the body for the number one wide receiver, and he's huge. And, like, and then you talk about Walker. Walker was a huge flip. So, I don't know. I think that, like, like we debated on the podcast what it was, like, mid to late season. And we're like, you know, are we kind of, like, reaching the, the ceiling of the wide receivers and everything? And, and this may be a bit of a reset, like, going to the next level with these guys. You know, keeping Wilson, for sure, because um, he has a different sort of element. Um, but then, and I mean, maybe, maybe it's the transition year to night, good wide receivers to maybe more the beginning of an elite stage. When you got a pipeline, what you do is you have Braylon and then you have Avon and then you have Breston and then you have Manningham, right? The idea is the next guy is part of the plan and then the next guy is part of the plan and you just kind of keep yeah. going. And they do kind of have that set up right now. Like we're talking Tyler Morris, but. Next year should be the Roman Wilson year, and the you know Ronnie Bell's gone. You need somebody who's going to step into that role, and Wilson's the guy who's just going to be open if you put him in man. Yeah. Um, back to this game. The other thing that was kind of disappointing from an overall standpoint was the fact that Michigan's run game just sort of decided that they were going to run into the teeth of what the TCU defense is designed to stop against heavy teams, right? Inside mm-hmm. zone. So you posted... Um, about that tight 404 yeah. from before the Army game. Yes. <laughs> and it kind of looked like the same goddamn thing. <laughs> it was exactly the same thing where they slanted it. And I was like, what are, yeah. what are we doing when Seth is like, hey, uh, not this. And I, I write the preview and I'm like, okay, they're going to throw the kitchen sink at these guys and they're not going to know what they're looking at. And they just didn't really do that. They, they I mean, got they did, out a couple to, times. So the, they uh, did. But, and then they actually blew it a couple times. There was one where um, they tried an end around with Henning. And yeah. Zinter doesn't see the guy coming behind him, turns around too late, and they get Henning down. And then the same drive, there's a um, a Packers sweep, which plays off of the that tendency, and they get exactly what they want to. They get, the, every, they, they get a perfect look where they have all the blocking they want, and Zinter doesn't trust it. Because last time the guy came inside of him and he turns around and he wastes his block and then the open guy gets Edwards down after like a four yard gain. That and there were a couple of them. Every time they went out to the edge like that, you're like, Oh, this this has legs and then it didn't. Because that's how they were playing us. Yeah, I mean, so with a defense like this, a three three five that is sort of what the ideal was supposed to be when Rodriguez came in, where it's mm-hmm. like you don't know where anybody's coming from on any down. Those are the sorts of things that happen. And the flip side of that was they gave up an absolute butt ton of explosives to Michigan. So we've seen this dichotomy all year. You play Iowa, and Iowa's just sitting back, and Michigan grinds them down the field for six yards carry. Exactly six yards, no more, no less. Right. And play Ohio State, and it's like, why can't we do anything? And then it's like, okay, explosives over the top. 
and that was the story of this game as well. It's it was just a little. I mean, I, I am criticizing a team that put up forty five should have been fifty two, but we have to understand <laughs> that this was eighteen drives. Yeah. So that's sort of the point. Is like you mentioned, you brought up the Ohio State game, and and they're another explosive offense. And so, do you think part of it is like? Ohio State and then TCU are are saying, "Are right, we can't let Michigan army us and just anaconda this game? Do we have to force this into an explosive fest? And if they hit them, we have to hit them too. Fine, whatever. But we cannot sit on the sideline for nine minutes and a quarter." Yeah, I mean, I think that has something to do with it. Like Michigan clearly wants to play a certain way. Yeah. And what your number one goal as defense is, is to not let the opponent play the way they want to play and force them to go in their bag and find something else. That was, you know, that was the goal. And I, did they accomplish it? I guess you could say they could. <laughs> well, mean, it's were... really hard to like have long sustained drives when the, when the defense is just going to not let you. Like they're either going to yeah. say, we're going to get you and sack you and you're going to punt or you're going to get a touchdown. Those are really the two options. Yeah, so then and, you're just forced into this explosive fest. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the thing that kind of gets me is it wasn't either of their their top cornerbacks that really put in the dagger. Mm-hmm. Like Michigan largely avoided them and went after the safeties and did so successfully. And the first pick six is by a guy named Bud Clark, who should be selling me propane. <laughs> no, but like, if, if you get a pick, I mean, he's a, guy he's named a Bud sol- Clark, it should be in 1951 or something. Like, no, like yeah, that's you. Do you buy a lot of propane, Brian? No, I don't buy a lot of propane. Um, Bud Clark is exactly about, the kind of player who played in 1961. But so they 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 actually had some corner depth, but their their top two corners were like all Big Twelve, graded out great at PFF, had incredible uh, numbers when targeted, like leading people who throw at them complete a third of their passes. And then their backup, their third and fourth corners were solid players, decent players, but not on that level and. So for JJ to put it, throw it late, put it in a bad spot, and for that guy to make the play on the ball like that was uh, <laughs> yeah. not good. Just a quick do, note: do Trevius think- Hodges Tomlinson actually won the Thorpe Award this year, so it wasn't just like all Big Twelve. It was the best. No, yeah, yeah. I mean so th- those guys, those guys can yeah. play, but those guys weren't making the yeah. plays in this game. And then you get down to the the one and the overturn on on the Wilson touchdown type substance. Which, to be clear, was incorrect, but also the change there was to take Michigan from 100% of a touchdown to give them 98% of a touchdown. Mm. And then Kalel Mullings, who's been practicing at running back for a solid month now, practiced at running back, played running back. I don't necessarily think that there's anything to, like, he's a converted linebacker, so he fumbled the ball. I don't, I think that's just like a shot from deepest hell. <laughs> did, did you see the spot after the more interception though? Yeah, they were set up that play action. Right. right. So it's 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 off by two yards mm-hmm. in his favor. I, I mean I've seen bad spots, but he wasn't close. No, what they did no. is they forgot which side of the field they were on when they came back. <laughs> yeah, it was it was like okay, you know, it was on the forty nine, they're like, which forty nine? Uh oh. Let's just pick one and not look at it. <laughs> yeah. We review literally everything else. <laughs> No, they didn't review one of Cornelius Johnson's catches. Michigan got to the line and well, snapped it before that's that. That's true. Yeah. That so, but it, yeah. it just, I mean, I don't know. I feel like sometimes I go into like this stuff is random too much, but I don't know how you can look at that, you know, two yards off on a spot in an interception, uh, overturn that is incorrect. Like, 
should have come back as confirmed because he didn't actually have control of the ball until he's in the end zone. That's, and then you have the most titanic error in the history of Michigan football. Probably not actually true. Probably. But, <laughs> but close. Boy, did you just walk into one right there. On a, Hi, comments. <laughs> on a fullback dive. Just, just a handoff. The most basic thing you can do in football. So it, it's just like, well, maybe what this is too much about that game theory in, in this section, but like Craig was just ranting about how they went under center and that's Michigan doesn't very, really go under center. That's a very strange thing for him to complain. about. Well, but Michigan doesn't really go under center a ton. They go under center plenty. Like they, okay, they but, spent like a third of their snaps under center this year, but like they're a lot of their short yardage stuff. I mean, I guess it's not quorum, so it's different, right? But as they run wedge, right, out of the shotgun, and you pick your gap and you go forward. And if you're under center, it sort of makes sense if you're going to sneak it and have like the Eagles just bring both of their running backs behind Jalen Hurts and throw them across the line, and it's unstoppable. Like that's the kind of stuff that you run in those situations, right? Like turning and handing to a fullback on like a wham or a trap or something like that, or just a dive is just. I mean, it's not. I don't know. It seems a little on the inefficient side to me. Narratively, I had a problem with it, but partially because what did TCU do when they got near the goal line? They they run a zone read keeper to Dugan. They then they yeah, uh, but that's that's not on the one. No, but then they have a, a, a third and one to get to like first and goal, and they just do a bush push, and that gets them over the line. And then right after that, what do they do? They run Dugan behind the running back, which is what Michigan did against Ohio State, and JJ walked in. And that's a very, very hard play to stop when you have well, a quarterback was, who can just beat a safety one on one. And that was a that was a zone stretch on the goal line that took advantage of a really strange formation from Ohio State. Yeah. So that's something where JJ sees it and he's like, oh, we got this gap in the line, we gotta run it." Yeah. And they're also at the five, right? It was no. a three. It was at the three. Three. Okay. But the yeah. way TCU plays, that was the play. That 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 was one of the things well, that Alex pointed out in faux film is just like if you get on the goal line and these guys. They're just going to jam the middle because they have no other choices. So just walk around them with your quarterback. Well, they tried that on a two-point conversion, and that didn't work. They had something in their bag for that. And, well, I mean, it, also, it also worked on the next two-point conversion. Yeah well, yeah, well, so there was one from under center for JJ. That did gain two yards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe should have been called on the uh, fourth and two in the first quarter. Instead of the blown, into... <laughs> the blown well, field special. I mean, like at least Harbaugh owned up to that, right? Like in the post game, he's like, you know, yeah, I, I, they said, why did you call it? He's like, well, I thought it would work. That's why I called it, but it didn't. And if I could had a chance to call it again, I, I wish I could. Mullins so, went the wrong I mean, way on that too. So the guy that ends up covering McCarthy, it wasn't gonna matter. Yeah, it wasn't gonna matter. Like nope. there, there was coverage. There was two guys out there. It wasn't gonna matter. Yeah, there's, like, there's a way to read that. There's a whole NFL Films video out there on this play about, you know. What, how you read that before the play, and like, okay, if that safety comes with your guy in motion, you've got man, and you're good. If he doesn't, I mean, they got to check out of that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's fourth and two, and you're you're Michigan, and I feel like going to the bag of tricks in the first quarter is like you got to at least try to establish something. And then the other thing about these plays that was so damaging is that there were two turnovers that should have been at the two and the one yard line. Mm-hmm. But Colson Loveland uh, loses eight yards, and it's a touchback on the other one. So Michigan doesn't even get the advantage of having TCU backed up in the shadow of their own goal Getting line. Deep, yeah. So, 
that's a big part of the the math on going for this kind of stuff is that even if you fail, you know, the next two plays from the offense are almost always pointless dives in the line. And then they got third and seven from the four right. or five. And you're very likely to get out of that and score. So to not even get that benefit from your turnovers on downs or fumbles is uh, another bolt from the heavens in an unpleasant fashion. All right. Do we have anything else on the offense? Uh, the offensive line play was not up to Michigan standards, even after you consider everything like the some of the pass rushes that they allowed, like Olu and Zick yes. got confused. I think that Keegan is going to come in pretty bad on your charting for just complete whiffs or missing his uh, missing his targets. And then I mentioned Zinter getting kind of discombobulated by the uh, you know whether or not a guy was coming inside of him or not. It was you know this is a difficult defense to get blocked up correctly. But Michigan stayed way too long on the first level on a defense that it's all about getting to the second level. There was more running to be had than they got. Well, that's it's disappointing. Yeah, I, but... I also think that only gives JJ a little bit more credit because there were a number of times when I mean he made his mistakes in the pocket and his pocket presence at times was spotty, but I mean he was under duress instantly too many times. I mean yeah, it was I mean, probably three reason... or four where he doesn't even finish his drop and a guy's like there. The only reason they actually got down to the two on their first yeah. 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 Pulls- back to the 30-yard line and then manages to scamper down the sideline to pick up six or something. I mean, there's not many Michigan quarterbacks in history that can do that. Yeah. Michigan's the one team that can lose yards by turning a 47-yard field goal into a fourth and two at the goal line. <laughs> God damn it, Seth. All right, we're going to take a break. Come back and talk about the defense. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people 
people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the Big House. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. folks head out to venue you can have events there it's got a great open space uh for anyone to to utilize the menu is fantastic seth's naming some drinks which i thought was an unwise decision by the owners but they're going with it the cayman nebraska <laughs> is really popular great awesome <laughs> So until, uh, until Urban Meyer sues us, but I don't know if he's discovered it yet. Well, Urban Meyer's got a lot of people to sue. Anyway, go to venue. It's a nice place to eat and have events. All right. So defensively, this is sort of a tale of two phases. So Max Duggan gets that 76-yard touchdown on uh, probably an RPS plus a million because they, they catch a zero blitz and they have um, the uh, shallow screen that we saw against Colorado for the first time a few years ago where it's blatant pass interference. It's blatant, but the drag gets back behind the line of scrimmage before the ball is, is completed, so it's legal. And so then you've got Quentin Johnson one-on-one with, uh, who was it again? Well, I don't think it, I don't think it was Turner. I think, I think they were in zone, and Turner picked him up later. Well, so the, yeah, but get Quentin Johnson, there's no deep safety, and so 
as soon as Turner loses leverage there, it's that's game over. So, so he takes the step in. That was the thing. I rewatched this like ten times, yeah, and jukes, I'm like, he jukes it in. Yeah. Yep. All he's got to do is just win the race to the sideline in a stead sprint, and he probably knocks him out three, four yards before the first down line. But he gets him to step inside and change the angle, and then gets around the corner and just like, ah, because then that's dead. Michigan has the ball back down three, and you're like, mm. yeah. So there's that play on. Max Duggan's 28 other attempts, they gain about 150 yards. So that's about five yards per pass completion. He made like three plays in this game, I think. The one you described. The touchdown, the second touchdown they had where he was getting sacked by two guys and then just throws. And if he doesn't throw that one perfectly, Michigan's got that down short of the goal line and it's like third and goal from the five. But like he throws it in so perfectly that the receiver doesn't have to break stride and he gets in. Uh, past Turner, and it's just like that was the oh, that's the same play, Duggan. Yeah, that's that's shallow screen again. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and then Duggan does have that uh, long third down conversion erased by his receiver, turns it into an interception, throws into traffic for his other interception. Um, but in terms of just defending the TCU passing game, I think you you take that almost except for the one play as a win just on a down-to-down basis, and then you have a big mistake by a guy put in a high-leverage situation where he probably should not have been in that high leverage of a situation. I know it's third and seven, but, I mean, that was a, that was a Jim Knowles play call right there. So to, the, to turn that from the you're on the 24 into a touchdown, like, yeah, I understand that you're going to need to get aggressive, but if you have a deep safety there, that's 30, 40 yards, right? Yeah. Yes, Top. that... that- that is true. I think the thing after rewatching, at least, at least on in the defensive side of the ball, like you could see that when when they could get pressure on Duggan, he they would win. His accuracy went through the floor, like yeah. not not where it's like eh, it's okay. It was bad, bad. Like he missed a ton of throws, and I think that the the thinking there was that all right, if we can just move him, and he's got to make a throw. You know, it's like one out of 10, one out of eight that he's going to hit it. And, you know, he did. You know, it's like the three plays, the one you described, um, Seth, on the shallow cross uh, mm-hmm. for the touchdown. And then the other one when they when he was like had to stand up in the pocket, juke around two guys, step up and hit the, you know, delayed corner route to the other side or cross corner to the other side. I mean, he just made three plays and there's nothing you can really do about that. But I think that the plan was, all right, if we can make him move and he can't sit there and pick us apart or then see his alley to scramble, you know, we can win. And that, you know, I, I hear your point and I don't disagree. I just think that it's what they wanted to do. I think Minter got a little over his skates there because right at the end of the first half, they have, you know, TCU has actually got the ball moving and he, um, they call up a, an all out blitz. Their running back doesn't block, and we just get a sack, and that then it ends the drive, right? And I think that he went he went back to that same blitz, and like it's a high leverage situation. You get the ball back, and I think at this point Minter was thinking, okay, I'm going to dial up my thing. I'm going to be the hero, which is a thing that young coordinators do a little too much. Instead of saying, I already used that, I already got that. I'm sure they looked at answers for that at this point, and I mean we're tipping all of our blitzes in this game. Even the good ones, even the ones that got through uh, because they overwhelmed them, were tipped. Well, I mean, there's, not... there was a tip on the huge bust down the sideline Yeah, where Michigan looks like they're coming off the field corner. They tip it, 
TCU checks and it looks like the rest of Michigan checks. And then either Jamon Green or the safety. Quentin Johnson, of all people. Right? Doesn't, doesn't understand that someone's blitzing or someone isn't blitzing. So you get Jamon Green coming off the corner, and absolutely nobody is covering Quentin Johnson. Quentin. Those two <laughs> plays, those two plays are you know virtually the whole of the TCU passing game. And that's a massive bust and a, a cover zero that catches the wrong coverage and, and a missed tackle. So other than that, you know, Michigan's secondary did a great job. The flip side of that is they got absolutely stomped on the ground. Yeah. Like, did either of you see this coming at all? No. I mean, I looked at their offensive line and I'm like, okay, this is a Minnesota offensive line. Michigan should be able to handle that. And their defensive tackles got whooped. And, you know, I think I thought the play going into this game was to adopt Michigan's approach, which is like, all right, we're going to have a light box and we're just going to live with it. And that's not something that I guess really held up. Yeah, no, Mozzie Smith. For the very beginning, we, Morris is getting put on skates and he gets like shoved down. They get like, well, an eight yard run on that. It's just like. And it's clear that all the stuff about how Mike Morris is 95% was, was crap. Yeah. Because for one, he doesn't play well in this game. He gets a total yeah. of two tackles. And also just his playing time. Like the number of snaps Mike Morris was on the field for is not we have Mike Morris, he's healthy, and it's a playoff semifinal number of snaps. So for whatever was Mike Morris's issue in Ohio State against Ohio State and Purdue, I think lingered. And Michigan essentially did not have their best defensive player for this game. And that's pretty disappointing. Mm-hmm. In a, in a game of this magnitude, you think, you know, a healthy Mike Morris is probably able to move the dial enough to get Michigan a dub. Well, you yeah. probably get a little bit more pressure and you don't have to maybe blitz as much. Yeah. And, you know, you don't really see a whole lot of uh, organic pressure from Michigan's edges. And you got to hope that Michigan, their existing guys get better. And you got to hope Josiah Stewart is a hit because uh, we saw the difference, right? If you put David Ojabo on this team, good God. (laughs) So I've already UFR'd half the defense just because we're doing this a week later than normal. And um, the the defensive ends are coming in pretty low. First of all, Morris was off before they even announced, like, starting lineups. So they they go to, like, you know, and here's Michigan's front. And, like, it's already Braden McGregor. Uh, (laughs) McGregor was – there was one play where they got a long pass that McGregor was just absolutely held. And there's nothing you can do about that. But – the rest of them, Upshaw, I think, had one of his worst games. Harrell had one of his worst games. Um, I, I think Michigan got a little blitzy, and that was so it might have been on the call a little bit. But, you know, those are the guys getting upfield. Upshaw had the false start and then got out of his lane, or, or the offsides and got Offside, out of his lane yeah. on a yeah. key third down. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, so as I'm going Assault through the injury. tape on these guys, like the defensive line, I mean, Mozzie Smith's going to have his worst game of the season too, but part of that is he just, he got in the backfield, thinks it's a screen because he's like, this was too easy, and then falls down when he had like a gimme sack. And that's the play right before Jamon Green and Quentin Johnson screw up their uh, their coverage. So He also has contain, too. right, Seth? He, he had contain on that. Yeah. Like he doesn't even have to, he doesn't even have to like, like get a sack. He just has to hold his line and not let Duggan outside, which he had the edge on him. 
but yeah, he like turns up inside and then falls over. Where it's what? slippery. I mean, you're Mozzie Smith on Duggan, but like the, uh, what the problem was, he stopped and he lost all of his yeah. momentum and he lost all of his angles. And at that point, you know, trying to get back outside and hop out there would be an athletic play. And you know, Mozzie Smith's a, a freak athlete, but not on, on the level <laughs> where you can like get into a like a one-on-one match with Duggan out in the backfield. Like he's a good quarterback and has been a good quarterback for a long time. So, do you think that playing on grass was a big deal? I mean, Michigan hasn't played a game on grass this year. Well, also, this one. grass was not good grass because there's people slipping all over the field. Yeah, something that I think is uh, Bud. Uh, it works for twenty four seven now. Bud Foster uh, was re- remarking on it on Twitter is that this happens whenever there's a playoff game at the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> um, so back to the pass rush stuff. Uh, Kind of incredible that there were only 25 pass rush snaps in this game. Smith and Jenkins are out there for almost all of them. And then your number two, your number one defensive end in terms of snaps, Jalen Harrell. Yeah. And uh, Mike Morris is actually out there for 13, and PFF has him for a 15% win rate, which is actually his season average. And then uh, no other defensive ends except Harrell got a pass rush win period. Harrell had one. So just uh I mean Moore got a bagel, Upshaw bagel, Oki bagel, McGregor bagel. So that is a, a major area of, of concern going into the offseason. And it's disappointing because these tackles were beatable. Yeah. Um but they required a guy like Mike Morris to be fully healthy. And if Mike Morris is only out there for half your pass rush snaps, you know he's not right. Yeah. Yep. I mean that's been the story all season. It's not like uh, you know, we're not surprised all of a sudden that Michigan's pass rush has been difficult. I do think, you know, Oki's a guy who showed up in fall camp. So everything he learned at Michigan, he's learned here. And he has not had much training in, in, his, in, in all the places he's jumped to before. So I think Oki's one guy who's probably, for a guy his age, he's got a lot more runway. Um, yeah. And then hopefully Josiah Stewart gives you something. You know, Upshaw's leaving. I think he saw the writing on the wall as far as his playing time is concerned. I think Morris is gone, so you kind of have to figure that out. But uh, McGregor, like I said, I saw there was one I would have given him credit for because he was just getting terribly held. And he's a guy who, all year, his upper body's there, his technique is there, and his lower body just isn't, which makes sense because he had a knee injury, so he couldn't do anything with his lower body until this year. He had a devastating knee injury, not just an injury. Like, he tore, didn't he tear all three of his major ligaments? Yes, he had, he had... The worst knee injury possible. <laughs> short of short of Grant Newsom, like that's that was yeah. as bad as it gets. But like that's the thing; he's a true freshman from the waist down, and that was kind of what he played like all year. So there's another guy who I think you have some upside for. It was just you know they I think they when they looked at their roster two years ago they said okay we're gonna lose Hutchinson we got Ojabo coming down the pipeline he'll be our guy this, in 2022. He just blows up a half season too early, and there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's it's hard to vision this team with even one really good pass rushing defensive end. <laughs> they were very they were a very good defense all season without that, and you know they get to a totally another level if they can get organic pressure. On yes, the they right get to guard. fourteen and zero instead of thirteen and zero. Yeah. Well, they. I mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you went through those guys, but you, I mean, also Derek Moore, right? Because he was a true freshman. So you're going to expect, I mean, he yeah. legitimately has a big jump coming at one one of these years. You think 
hopefully maybe next year and you like Oki and you know you can't it's not a certain thing but I mean Michigan's done a good job of developing these guys for years and you think that these guys stick in the program long enough and I mean Morris wasn't a whole lot before this year I mean he showed some some blips in 21 and then this year took another jump and so I don't think it's a huge stretch to think that one or two of these guys could pop and they're going to have some DTs in there too. And so it's not going to be, they're having to hold the inside as well as get pressure on the outside. So I don't think it's a huge, huge jump to think that. I mean, to me, like you could see it with Morris last year, but he was stuck behind, you know, two excellent players and he was flashing when he got in. And I don't know that anybody has played at that level. Yeah, where I'm like, okay, that guy might is, is going to be a player next year. Like, I don't think Moore has. I don't think McGregor has. I don't think Oki did. So I think you're really banking on Stewart's uh, pass rush translating. And I think that's fairly likely. Like, just his, his ability to come in as a true freshman and blow up the ACC, not ACC, AAC, um, is, is impressive. And often pass rushers just kind of either have it immediately or don't the guy who I think you might be looking for next year in that department is Mason Graham because he has flashed. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he's at the level where you're like, okay, this is going to be <laughs> God willing and the Creek don't rise. This is going to be some Mohurst stuff or though maybe not Mohurst, but Mike Martin, I think is a guy who he can be next year. And that would be absolutely huge for Michigan. Well, and they get um, Jenkins back, and then they have like what Grant played a little bit, and he got what, all of the praise from the from Harbaugh and, and the defensive staff. And Rayshon and, Benny has flashed, and Rayshon mm-hmm. Benny is another guy. And you know they like that. Um, the what people I've heard several people talking about um, the freshman that's coming in next year, Pierce, I think, has a little bit of that in him. And so they have a number of guys that are going to be there. You're not like going to give two guys all the snaps. So you have options. And Jenkins yeah. has a little more runway to go too. Like he's going to be, I think Chris Jenkins is going to be your best defensive tackle next year, give or take Mason Graham turning into the best tackle <laughs> in, the, in the in the country. But like, yeah, yeah you're you you got a pretty good rotation even if you lose Smith. Uh, you know, now that we're losing Smith this year, so that I'm not worried about. I think that you know next year's kind of the sophomore year for the ends, and like Brian said, like Josiah Stewart can come in and play right away then one of those other guys should be at a position now where he can contribute. Whereas coming into this year, you know, either they're even the start of the year. We looked at the end spot and we're like, none of these guys are really going to do it. Like the, our best hope is that they can turn Jalen Harrell into a quasi linebacker and blitz the linebackers because Harrell can cover just as well as the other guys. It sounds like Jacoby Windman, uh, to be honest. <laughs> <sighs> We mentioned that Quinton Johnson was in this game inexplicably. How about uh, five snaps for Cam Good, who might not have had five snaps against Rutgers? They also brought him out like to start a drive, right? They like, brought him out to start a drive, and when they you know, TCU gets a huge play uh, on a point where it's like, does a different defensive tackle actually get to Duggan here? Because it was pretty close, and he was in the pocket a long time and got pushed off his spot. And then Michigan gets gashed for 15 yards on the next play. And it's just like, why did we do this? Like, I don't want to, you know, denigrate Cam Good, but the guy hasn't played all year. And not much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, functionally, and to put him out there in this game in a super high leverage situation is just like something I do not understand. Ditto they did, Jimmy. That, did that with Rolder, too. 
they did that with Rolder too, yeah. So and so it's just one of those things where you're like, I understand that we want to rotate guys and get people ready for next year, but maybe not in this one. <laughs> well, and especially yeah. like your sixth defensive, fifth or sixth defensive lineman, like that just seems a little yeah, it unnecessary. Like they didn't have a ton of defensive snaps at that point anyway. Yeah, like I understand putting Mason Graham and I understand putting Rayshon Benny in. Those guys have made plays for you all year, and Good just didn't, and it really, it really seemed to cost them. All right, yeah. So, does anyone has anything else about the defense? Well, we didn't talk about Colson, and he had a couple of uh, missed gaps, but he also probably had the best play he's made in his career. On the deflection the... to Moore. I mean, Moore made the nice catch, right? But that's all Junior Colson, and he gets yeah. beat. The the and against a slot receiver, so not even someone he quote unquote should be covering in that sense, and. Gets beat, gets back inside, gets his arm in, and makes the play, and you know makes a play that potentially turn changes the game again because that's the play where they hit the Roman Wilson touchdown that wasn't, and they're back in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I he had a couple missed tackles as well. Is Colson's been like that all year, where he just makes that yeah. ridiculous play that I plus two or plus three, and then he makes the ridiculously bad play and ends up with a Jonas Mouton score. Jonas Mouton is what I was thinking. <laughs> I just, uh, but. It's Will still Johnson young. was still a young was, linebacker. Yeah. Will Johnson. Don't throw Will great. Johnson. Yeah. Don't throw at him. Yeah. And that was, you know, we talked about this earlier that, like, you know, when you take away their big chunk plays that really weren't on the cornerbacks at all, they got very little through the air. And that was because Sonny Dykes comes out throwing the ball from the very beginning, just chucking it downfield. And nobody. Yeah, but that's it. what TCU. Yeah, that's, that's what TCU does. Yeah. And Michigan, I mean, both guys, because they were not matching Will Johnson up. They were just left and right still. So mm-hmm. it was DJ Turner's turn. He got over the top of the fade route. Will Johnson got over the top of the fade route, and the balls were off. But even if they were not off, I don't think those were going to be complete unless Johnson just pulls something out of his bag. Yeah. So cornerbacks did a great job. I think DJ Wilson actually, not DJ Wilson, DJ Turner made himself some money. Uh, he announces for the draft. And if you look at his draft stock, it's been going up steadily uh, over the past three months. And I think doing this against Quentin Johnson is only going to improve it further. He's just going to so. have to win some contest, contested catches. But, well, I mean, there yeah. weren't even any to contest in this. Not one in this game, no. But yeah. when you're talking so, about going forward. Um, yeah. Did you see Moten at all? I did not see him. I don't think so. That's can, uh, interesting, especially when Quentin Johnson plays in a high-leverage situation. Yeah, and doesn't they talked the before the game about how they're going to use him as a linebacker. And I took Moten. that to mean they were going to have like a dime defense prepared for this, and and then he, this, I took he that go. to mean that they're moving him to linebacker next year. <laughs> well, uh, they have a lot of safeties next year. They redshirted yeah. like half a class of safeties. Yeah, so maybe that's not the worst idea in the world because <laughs> they do need linebackers, and safety to linebacker is a thing that happens. All right, we're going to take a break. Come back, and uh, we'll be there'll be some hot. I guess. <laughs> At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, certified financial planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. And now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we 
recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Hey, so I have like insurance and stuff, but I don't really like know what's going on with it. Yeah, it, your your coverage probably sucks and you're paying way too much for it. And I know this because I had a guy, uh, he's a, uh, his name's Phil Klein. He's actually a Michigan alum and wrestled for Michigan. He okay. looked at my insurance and he was like, yeah, your coverage sucks and you're paying a lot more than you need to for it. I also like, I, I hesitate to even mention this, but I do have my insurance from a company that advertises during college football games. Well, I wish that was not the case. Well, why don't you just get it from a cool guy who actually like reads them go blog? Well, how would I do that? <laughs> they have a website. They have one of those too. It's philkleininsurance.com. Can you remember the name Phil Klein? Sure. Can you remember insurance? Yes. Okay. Use those two together and you will save money on your insurance and you will actually get better coverage on your home and your auto and they do life too. All right. So you're telling me if I Google Phil Klein insurance, this, this website will come up. Yes. Wonders never cease. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or app application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, for video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. I don't really want to be famous. I just want a million blue faces. I just want a million new fans of plays. Then I want to ride that massive wave, blowing all the money on diamonds. Mansions, paddocks, and private planes Showing off flying the islands Buying them, run the red carpet and rise to fame I don't really wanna be popular Walk around the city, they stop and look I don't really like to be ogled at I just wanna hang with models, stat Superstar like Miley Cyrus, I've been on my dope shit Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious Remember back at Edge when we was eating with the roaches Don't they cut me flying, they ain't going back to coach I don't really wanna be famous though I just call my agent up they said that my price went up I said, nah, that's not enough Now that you can see me always dropping freebies They still call me greedy though We 
got bills that's adding up Trying to get my status up I don't really wanna be famous I just want a million blue faces I just want a million new fans of plays Then I wanna ride that massive wave Seth no. Randy. No. 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 Yes. Randy. Jason. I'm scaring my daughter. <laughs> David. <laughs> I need takes so hot from you. They could have been the third quarter of the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> Seth, give me your hottest take. Michigan is coming back next year. I don't even know if that's that they hot. Play football? No, They'll they're going back to the playoffs again. Is that a hot take? That's not that hot. I already made that hot take. <laughs> and it was not hot. Okay. That was a hotter? literally you want a hotter? hot take. Do you want hotter yes. from me? Fine. I'll give, you hotter. Hot I'll give you a I'll give you a hotter take than that. Fine. Mm -hmm. Michigan's winning the national championship <laughs> next year. All right, there you go. Take. That's there's a hot, a hot take. take. If Blake Corum comes back, that's not a hot take either. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I maybe it is. Maybe Blake Corum coming back means that the offense isn't going to look like it did in the third quarter, which was great. So, so I don't know. So it's not just that like they're the only playoff team returning their quarterback, right? It's, uh -huh. it's not just that, you know, I, I mean, Alabama's going to be good. Georgia's going to be good. But if you look at Michigan's roster right now, they just went from being sophomores to juniors, like across the board. So mm -hmm. like that is like you're going from Chad Henney 2005 to Chad Henney 2006 at quarterback, right? And the the receivers, I mean they they're they've been around longer, but you're gonna get a whole bunch older in that position. You're gonna get um, your offensive line, I think. It's probably going to continue given the transfers they got and some of the options coming up. So, I mean, offense, awesome. And then defensively, you know, Mason Graham was a true freshman last year. You get him one one more year. Chris Jenkins is coming back. They added some pass rush to the outside. Junior Colson is not going to be, you know, he takes one step forward and he's going to be a very positive player. And then all these guys in the secondary who were young, I mean, they got to find a cornerback and they might get Jamon Green back. I don't see – there's no other team that actually has so few weaknesses as Michigan next year. And it's really hard to go all the way and beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten and then go to the playoffs. But there's very few teams in the country that look as good as Michigan, maybe none. Tommy Doman's going to be an All-American. <laughs> I mean, honestly, those are some pretty big questions. The PAC Specialistica is now over. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, Randy, give me your hottest take. Jim Harbaugh will be the coach of Michigan next year. <laughs> I mean, is that, I'll allow that's, a, it. that's a take that's ever getting hotter. I mean, he's interviewing with Denver this week. He's I not interviewing. He's not going. To he's virtual, virtual Zoom call. I why would? Why is interviewing with Denver, Denver the way that you're interviewing with MGo Blog right now? He's on a Zoom call. <laughs> Listen. I want to blame Russell wait, Wilson. Wait, wait, wait! A, a signal wire. Signal call. wire call. He's signal not even wire. doing a. He's not even doing a signal wire call. He's. You're doing more than he's doing. He's going back to freaking Zoom. We've already I, moved I, on I, to the future. I. 
I agree. I but for all the reasons you just laid out very beautifully, Seth, I want him to be like, let's run this thing back. Let's. I'm not going to the NFL. I'll make his money here for a long time and shut down every single thing. That's just in my heart of hearts. I want him to just shut it all down. I mean, because you got one big fish out there in the 24 class that you got to reel in this month. And that, that can change the 24 class. If you get Jaden Davis, you got to get him this month and start that class. You got to get him this month and you got to get um, the, the running back who's they were just on Taylor Tate or whatever. I can't, I'm not, I'm not saying his name, right. But like that, you got to get a five-star running back and a five-star quarterback to build the 24 class. And that starts by Jim Harbaugh saying, I'm coming back to win the national championship next year. That's the that's the program definer though, right? Because that's what Ohio State did like years ago. So they went from good quarterback to good quarterback to good quarterback to good quarterback. Right. And Michigan's starting to do that and they put that next guy in. You start to look around, you're like, you know, okay, maybe we're not Alabama and have 75 five stars, but when you can start translating, you know, A plus quarterback to A plus quarterback, I mean, this is what those programs do. And I think maybe you don't have it at the skill positions, but you've built lines, offensive lines with 10 guys who can play next year and young guys coming forward who will be great. And the defensive line is, as Brian mentioned before, I mean, you add one more person, that defensive line, it's a rotation of four right now that I'm happy with any of those guys being in on the field at any time next year. They're Grant and Graham. Like, I wish they still made those crazy old NFL posters that were so <laughs> weird where everyone was so sweaty. Like the two of them would be like us judges and they'd be in judges robes with gavels and they'd be so sweaty. Why is it so hot in the courtroom? Why'd they rip the arms off those robes? Andy, this Grant is the NIL area era. era. You, can you can make, make this, happen. this happen. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> I want the Grant and Graham poster. Like they're, they're judges. But they're also dis- wearing like, they're judges, but they're also wearing like Blues Brothers hats. Yeah. <laughs> and if glasses. you guys move your money from MGO Blog sponsorship to that, I will understand. I'm just gonna say. I'm gonna put that uh, out there. <laughs> can you can you fit them both on one poster though? <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. think so. It might be two or three it's posters. Like really fat heads. This really offensive bad. series is out of order. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, give me your hottest take. Michigan fans will never appreciate how good it is right now. <laughs> that is not a hot take. <laughs> well, I mean, truthfully, I, and, and this kind of goes hand in hand with what Randy's saying. Like, if Harbaugh leaves, if we don't land these big recruits, you know, in, in the future, then we are maybe witnessing this, like, sort of blip to great, great greatness right now. And I know there's no way that anyone appreciates how great this has been especially since we lost so tragically and i it's a bummer because i think seth's right i don't think it's the hottest take i think they have a good shot to come back next year and then i guess it depends what jj mccarthy does if he leaves and we don't have a replacement that's as good even if we do have a good replacement he's been pretty remarkable and a standout generational guy i i don't know that we get back every year like we have these Except, years that the play, except that you said last time the playoff expands oh, to 12 teams. Yeah. So th- there is a legitimate shot that you can be a perennial playoff team, which helps in every way. If you're a team who's like, we're going to make the playoffs every year, that's great for the program. 25 and three in the last two years. Yeah. Also, whenever I say 45-22 or 42-27 to Michigan fans, they tend to get very appreciative. Like that's That brings out the feels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dave, give me your hottest take. 
the basketball team is going to win more games than MGO Blog thinks it will. <laughs> you're on MGO Blog, so you like, you literally you. just made yourself wrong. <laughs> That's like when when Mike Farrell was at Rivals, and he's like, "These guys are underrated." I'm like, "You do their ratings." <laughs> <laughs> Fine, then the writers think they will. <laughs> what is that? Eight, no. nine games, 12 games? Well, so they're they're what? Three and one in the Big Ten right now. And they've looked, I mean, yesterday, I just, I don't even want to go into because I don't, I hate games at Breslin don't even count on the schedule. But like you start to look down the schedule and it doesn't even really, I mean, it matters how good they are, but like they're playing Northwestern, they're playing Minnesota, they go on the road to Maryland. I mean, if they win that Iowa game, there's a decent chance that they're starting like seven and one. And and yeah, you're going to lose some games because you're going to play harder teams after that, obviously. But you don't have to like go on these long stretches of streaks of wins. You can go two and one and, you know, two and two in, in sections because you've done your work early and you're five or six games over. And, you know, does that turn into what does that mean for the tournament or the Big Ten tournament? I don't know. But it, you know, after the last couple of years of having this roller coaster of basketball, you know, winning some games, especially in conference, could be kind of fun. Wait, Dave, do you think we're going to win 12 games in conference this year? Uh, if they beat Iowa, yes. I mean, that's not that far off from what, I mean, fancy stats are projecting uh, 11 and 9, so it's not even that much of an optimistic take just relative to how they've played so far this year. In part, yeah, that's because the Big Ten the Big Ten <laughs> is just not good this year. Like, oh. they're definite off year. Like, there's mm-hmm. no Garza, there's no Keegan Murray, there's no... There's no there's Sky a- Clark... Anymore. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you watch you watch that game against you know, yesterday against State, you're like neither of these teams is very good. No, like, no. not exactly. A but if that's classic. our experience at Breslin, I can live with it. All right. Well, my daughter's losing her mind, <laughs> so let's. She's speaking her, like the rest of us in this segment. Let's make her lose her mind even more. The only man who can prevent Donovan Edwards from winning the Heisman next year. Is named Blake Corum. Right. <laughs> Not even that hard of a take. I mean, he's That's very didn't true. Did Joel Klatt say that this year? So, yeah, but that was Not that in was the crazy. voice, though. But okay. you got to get his hand healed. And you get a guy who catches 50 balls for 700 yards. He runs for 1,000 yards. He has 2,000 yards from from scrimmage because he's like returning punts or whatever. He's the He's the, he's like the kind of guy who, if everything hits right, can actually win a quarterback award. And if Blake Corum go, comes back, that's not happening because they're going to split it down the middle. But, you know, I'll live with that. It'll be... I'll, I'll live I'll with it too, to but it. but but what about what I was saying before? I mean, without Blake Corum, JJ opened things up and JJ becomes the runner that I think we need to open the offense up. If you have Blake Corum, JJ's not going to run as much. This offense will just hand the ball off more. You'll see some more wide receiver attrition probably. But So I, I go back and forth. Of course, Blake Corum is like one of my favorite dudes ever to put on a Michigan uniform, like hands down. I, I think he – I know Seth for years. He's got Hassan Haskins' jersey hanging behind him. But tell me that Blake Corum – hasn't made a run at that guy for being your favorite player ever to be a Michigan, certainly running back. So 
so I go back and forth because if you don't have him, then the offense may look like the third quarter into the fourth quarter of the TCU game next year. Maybe JJ slinging it around and it's wide receivers and it's Colston Loveland takes a step and it's Donovan Edwards. You know, yes, we don't have a second running back, but to me, I don't know. I, I don't know what's better. I, I mean, to me, I you want to have that depth, right? Because Blake Corum goes out this year and you have Donovan Edwards. Mm-hmm. And we saw a pretty big drop off to a freshman, CJ Stokes. I'm sure CJ Stokes will improve next year. But, you know, to have a guy who's performing like a five star and then a guy who probably should have been a five star at your running back position and have them both hit is is important. And they also bring different things. Like, I don't think Donovan is ever going to be the kind of short yardage back that Corum was this year. And Blake Corum is not a wide receiver also. So I think having both things allows you to do a lot more. You can have them both on the field at the same time. How fun would that be? You could. I mean, honestly, if Blake Corum comes back next year, how many snaps do you want Donovan Edwards just lining up outside? As most of them, you're flanking. <laughs> by the way, and by the way, you can sell it to Blake as we're not going to put as much tread on your tires because, oh, yeah. Don- because Donovan and Donovan, we're protecting your NFL future. So you might not win the Heisman unless you have like a couple of just insane games, but we're preserving you for the next level, which is where you guys both want to go. And yeah, I the- mean, honestly, can you imagine like Blake Corum like taking a fake handoff one way and then as a jet sweep with Donovan Edwards the other way. That's uh, I love it. I love it. Ball game, ball game. I, I mean, I think that part of the reason that they overdosed Blake Corum this year was because like they're also protecting JJ and they will not have to do that next year. Yeah. I think you're going to see a much uh, different run pass split because they were, they were close to, no, they weren't close, but <laughs> they were in shouting distance of service academies in terms of run rate. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's that's going to be the case. I think they're going to be fairly average in, the, in terms of like run pass split next year because they should be after this experience against TC. Mm-hmm. All right, if you can't get enough Sklars, hit up their podcast view from the cheap seats or the nosebleeds, which is on UFC Fight Pass, and they might be coming to a, a Alaska near you. All right, uh, thank you to the Sklars for another stellar segment, and we got to talk about. Well, first we're going to talk about whatever game theory stuff we've got uh there are some questions about harbaugh taking his timeouts late uh i didn't think it really mattered uh either get the ball back on the last drive yeah on the la- on the last tcu drive oh he nailed he- it did he yeah. i mean i i feel like it it ended up not mattering but let's say you get a stop on the first series which they didn't <laughs> yes, I know. Let's say you get a stop on the first series. You probably call timeout before the punt, but you after third get, down, yeah, you've given up a buck twenty in time. You need a touchdown, and you're gonna like. I feel like you want to save that time because then when you're moving the ball, you have more. You have more options. You can Maybe stop the, clock run the ball better than they can. They're going to use all right. forty seconds. As, for guarantee. And that's like the yeah. worst case scenario for one of your plays. Right. Use, use all 40 seconds. It won't happen. So well, it might happen with this team, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe their problem so, there was that they just did not hurry on the second to last possession when they scored the touchdown is they probably wasted 40 to, I don't know, maybe over a minute. Well, and then, I mean, I mean, this is just something that football coaches do at the end of that Ohio state Georgia game. 
where Georgia is driving for a go-ahead touchdown, they're also up by, they're going to be up by a point if they score. They get down inside the 15, and then they're hurrying up, and they give Ohio State a minute, and they're very fortunate that Ryan Day is like, 48 yards sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was losing my mind. You were losing your mind, too. Uh, yes. My wife was losing her mind because I, w- I had the remote, and I wouldn't give it back until the game was over, and it was 11.59 and 35 seconds. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's those those like uh, simulcasts of the ball dropping as Ruggles puts it wide. And it's uh-huh. like, wow. Happy New Year! Uh, <laughs> Happy New Year! <laughs> I was like, it did moderately improve my New Year. That was the best part about being in Phoenix, is we got to wait two hours. Huh. Yeah. And then was, uh, <laughs> no, I, I thought the timeouts like were fine. Um, I didn't, you know, I, they had to use a couple of them in the first half. At, yeah. at dumb times, but that happens. The en- end of the game was. But I don't think there's really anything else. The end of the first half, they managed to get in range for a 59 yard field goal. <laughs> there was a hideously excellent decision to take a pass interference call from TCU that made that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, like just, the, just really roughing, smart on that guy's part. The roughing, the roughing the passer call was, was yeah. kind of soft, but the DPIs was, I thought were fine. Yeah, the roughing the passer, the call was was not soft. It was NFL level soft. Yeah. <laughs> it was. I the terrible. explanation they gave an explanation for that was that he extended his arms to push afterwards. And when you have to say he extended his yeah. arms, like it was, yeah. The other thing, actually, the uh, the targeting at the end live, I was like, oh. oh, that's targeting. I've seen an explanation afterwards that actually makes a pretty strong case that it wasn't targeting. That the crown of the what helmet was that. Was the crown of the helmet does not hit; it hits the shoulder pad. So, like he comes okay, in, but and, like the side of his helmet hits the helmet. The crown of the helmet is lowered, so I don't. I don't think it matters if it's. I don't know. Yeah, this to is me like a, that. I, I I'll pull the I'll put the tweet into the into the comments so people can see. But like it was, there's a pretty strong explanation that the crown of the helmet is like a circle space, and they made that the case because it makes it a lot easier to get the call right. And there was a referee who was looking at this going, yeah, this is exactly how I would look at it, and I would not have called it. Circumstances, regardless. I mean, even if they do get that call, they got 20 seconds. They're going to be on, like, the 40. Yeah. But they have a a Hail Mary at that point, because JJ can get the ball to the end zone. Yeah, but I'm not going to get too worked up. And in this game... We didn't get a Hail Mary. (laughs) Literally anything. Well, yeah, I don't know. I just that doesn't seem to. No, really I I agree with that. It's just in terms of I I think the teams are on... walking off. I mean, maybe there's a case that the that it wasn't targeting. I think that there was no way they were going to call targeting in that situation. Like the game is over and everyone's I mean, to, deflated. Like to be fair to NCAA officiating, I no longer go into every targeting review having no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, like most they've they've fixed it to the point where I'm I'm pretty pretty sure. That something is or is not targeting it is almost always the case now. It's not no longer roulette, so that's good. Uh, I'll give, go ahead. I was going to say we should give credit to um, Moody for not just hitting the longest field goal in Michigan history, but also owning four of the longest eleven. I think is what it is. Yeah, he's uh, as as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, the Pax Specialistica has come to an end and. At some point next year, we're all going to be like, oh, man, I wish Jake Moody had 17 more years of eligibility. But it is not the case. He's a, he also scorer at Michigan, though. Right, right. That well, it's thing. like unceremoniously. I mean, there's 
there's records that are real and there's records that are like, oh yeah, there was a COVID year. <laughs> <And> that's one <laughs> of I, yes, yes, but I mean the the list of guys that he's passed is is pretty special. So did, congratulations! Did they to score touchdowns in the COVID year? I don't remember that. No, but they kicked a few field goals. Okay, which was better for him. All right, uh, TCU things aside, we need to talk about Jim Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh's agent, who is. <laughs> Not very smart because <laughs> it's so transparent. You talk to Ian Rappaport and it's like, well, he might go into the Giants unless he gets a big ass contract. And I'm like, gee, I wonder who's talking about this. When we talked about this on TKA. Like, it's clear this is the first year this has ever happened where there's a bunch of stuff coming out and it is just so transparently from a financially interested individual. And it's not a coincidence that people close to Harbaugh are suddenly saying these things. His father's not going to say that. His brother's not going to say that. None of the coaches are going to say that. None of his kids are going to say that. His wife isn't going to say that. Who's going to say that? His agent is going to say that because he hired an agent. Well, why did Jim Harbaugh hire an agent? Well, because after 2020, no. we lowballed him on an offer and he had to take it because that's what was out there. But I mean, if you're in Harbaugh's circle and he takes that contract from Michigan in 2020, you say, okay, Jim. Get yourself an agent after this because you shouldn't be doing this for yourself anymore. Stop stop making deals with Michigan on napkins where like the big thing that you have to argue about is the color of the yellow. Well, it's clear that I don't think the NFL is actually interested because this Panthers thing fell apart immediately. And now they're, it's like we're not actually interested. There's a report out there that's like, yeah, Jim Harbaugh's camp was trying to make this happen. Again, agent. Right. And this Denver <laughs> thing is a is a signal wire call. <laughs> so, I mean, he's, it's just posturing, but this posturing is hurting his program. Wasn't there a report that he doesn't want to go to Denver anyway, because Herbert and Mahomes are in that division. And oh like, my God, of all the reports, like, of all the reports that Jim Harbaugh doesn't want competition. I don't, <laughs> I don't think he doesn't want competition, but he's got the broken shell of Russell Wilson and no draft picks for five years. No kidding. And but he's, Harbaugh would never and, say it in his life. But, I mean, he wouldn't say it, but like that's that's a terrible situation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like I don't know what Sean Payton's doing because apparently the they had yeah, the Broncos have to give up a first round pick to get Sean Payton. <laughs> Just like wow. that, well, that can't happen because I think their next first round pick is like in twenty thirty five. Right. So I mean, it's just, it's just never going to happen. And then you know the Colts. It's like you're going to go work for Jim Irsay. <laughs> like it's a, kind of a strange situation where like in college you're pretty much your own boss. And Jim Irsay made a call about changing the starting quarterback this year. <laughs> you know what that sounds like? Dave Brandon? It does. But Dave Brandon is no longer at Michigan. And Jim well, Harbaugh specifically thing. said he was not going to come to Michigan as long as Jim as, uh, Brandon was here. Like, that was the end of any pursuit. Right. So is he going to go for quote. Jim Irsay? No. So what yeah. we need to do is we need to get... Um, Yes, it's the situation where it's pay that man his money at this point and stop having this happen every year. Because if it happens over a third year, it's going to be like, dude, you're sabotaging your own program because of your own ego. Yeah, and I know that. I know that that's not what he wants, but also he just doesn't seem to like keep focused on a one thing for very long. So I'm uh, I think everybody's getting pretty tired of this song and dance. So if he does get a contract where it's like pay that man his money, it better damn well have a buyout that shuts all this stuff down. I don't care if it's enforceable. He should have a billion dollar buyout. 
And a first round pick. <laughs> and a first round pick. That'd be That's great. Right. But the NFL. Here's how it worked. The NFL team actually has to pay the NIL of the transfer guy who comes to what Michigan. Ha- no, what happens is that the- Whoever hires Jim Harbaugh, the University of Michigan now owns that NFL team. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're putting in the contract. So, now we'll, so we'll have Harbaugh to the least, Dolphins every week. But it's 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 got to have some outlandish number so that this stops happening. Yeah. I I mean, it, this year at least it's transparent enough that intelligent people are not jumping all over it. I also think that it's Harbaugh's camp, not Ward's not camp. Like, I... I know people want to blame Ward for not like nailing him down the last year or so, but if you have an agent, the agent can't sign anything until he's actually explored all the, you know, what until he's actually used the leverage or figured out what kind of leverage he has. And that's kind of his job, right? I like, just wonder what on. this who this dingus is cuz like <laughs> it's, it's I mean, it's come his on, bro. Agent. It's the same guy who's gotten you know who's, but is I mean, this, his brother's agent. Really do you want to continue everything that's going on at the Ravens? Yes. Okay. Is is it, I don't know. It just feels like like this has been the most tr- like you can't go talk to Ian Rappaport and say that the University of Michigan is still very important to him as long as he gets a big ass contract. It's like, come on, bro. This is not even subtle. Like, Did you see Rappaport's? Co- Coach Jim Harbaugh is set to interview with the Broncos this week as he continues to flirt with a return to the NFL. But Michigan has the chance to make this all go away. <laughs> that was... Yeah, you got a nice football program there. Shame if anything happened to it. <laughs> I mean, I mean My name's Jimmy Rexton. Ra- Rappaport is, is good for you know if you want to if you're an agent and want to get a quote in the out there. Rappaport's the guy to go to. But I mean, try to like at least make it a little more subtle. Well, I mean, I guess that's what Jim Harbaugh wants, right? Does he want to go back to the NFL? What is like? supposed to be like Mr. Competitor and then he's like well but my feelings are hurt because my contract's bad. It's like okay then just get a new contract. This is what this is what happens. Like, I think Harbaugh has put this out of his mind. I think that, that this is like okay I got an agent now John your agent's going to handle this for me so I don't have to anymore. He got this agent before they met with the Vikings last year. So this is oh, so they've had over a year but the agent's could not really get anything out of Michigan after last year because what happened? He talked to a couple NFL teams and the Vikings were like, no, we don't want you. So yeah, like that's, that's the level we're at right now. And he, he has to get the maximum he can for his, he's got to justify his existence. So he's got to do this. And this podcast is coming out on black Monday. So we'll see what's out there. He'll (laughs) run through the, the list. And I think then Michigan will get him back again for, I don't know, $9 million a year and a $9 million buyout or something. Like what, like what Mel's getting? And then there's the other thing with the, the hamburger, and then he's like, ah, I don't want to talk to you guys. I, <laughs> I can't imagine anyone caring about this. Like the... the Well, people allegation. who want to care are going to care, right? Like, that's how this works? Right, yeah. The, the Mi- Michigan State Twitter is like, this yeah. exposes Jim Harbaugh as a hypocrite. <laughs> Ohio State Twitter is like, Hey, Jim Tressel got fired for lying to the NCAA, too. He lied, like... Remember when they wanted Harbaugh to be the coach? Remember when they were like, yeah, Jim Harbaugh can't beat anybody, and now, oh, man, we got to get him out of there. He lied to the NCAA! (laughs) Jim Tressel, like, went into an investigation and, like, lied his ass off about something that would actually have gotten his program in a significant amount of trouble. Uh Uh-huh. And Jim Harbaugh, we'll see. 
if that's if that's what happened with Jim Harbaugh, then you do kind of think about it. But if what happened with Jim Harbaugh is they're like, oh, uh, did you did you buy these guys a hamburger? And it's like I don't remember. And they're like, oh, we got a receipt. It's like okay, yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. Like no, the, I mean with with Trestle, it was like they got Capone on tax fraud versus yeah. Jim Harbaugh forgot to pay the fifty dollar fee for not getting his pre taxes paid this year. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense that it's like, okay, what, what are the consequences of, of this if worst comes to fruition? It's like, well, they take away a recruiting visit or two. And it's like, is Jim Harbaugh going to lie about that? Is he going to he gonna make things vastly worse? Or did he just blow off some some suit being like, are we... And, and one of the things that they uh, are being charged with is now something that they're just going to let happen. Yes. So apparently there was an analyst who was working with the players, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> well, here, because here's the thing. Michigan started doing it after, like, Alabama very clearly was doing it because you had lots of Alabama recruits talking about analysts, and, and Saban was bringing in well-known coaches who lost their jobs as analysts. And then you have players before the fact and after the fact talking about how they worked so much with that coach and how it was great having this wonderful coach here playing, you know, working with me on my things. And then Ohio State was doing it, and we got a lot of quotes from Michigan or from the Ohio State side saying, look, this is how a professional organization works now. You have analysts working with you all the time at Ohio State. How come Michigan's not doing this too? So Michigan catches up to what all their peers are doing, and then a Detroit free press loser decides to write about it, and it becomes an issue that Michigan has to report. Michigan reports it, but now they're making it legal because what? Everybody does it. This is a standard practice in college football and has been for some time. And you have, so all you're doing, and this drives me nuts about the NCAA because it just defines them for the last 20 years, is they punish what you will report. So Michigan's really just being punished here for being the program that says, yes, we used Ryan Osborne as, a, as, a co- as an extra coach. Well, I think like what happened does. is Matt Dudek ratted him out after he got fired for being incompetent <laughs> that is that is what multiple of the pay sites is has at least that's what it, that's right. what it was. To. that's what they're that's what they're inferring um is that michigan's incompetent former recruiting coordinator is like but what oh, ran out i mean everyone knew osborne was doing some coaching i mean it that's was, it was but, in like four seven articles but like the the ham the the covid thing where he's yeah. like oh it's a dead period i saw some recruits like I mean, it's kind of nice that the uh, guy who's like, oh, I got to think of all the bad stuff I can think of. And that's what he's got. So they watched Dominic Jadis work <laughs> out. If, yeah. If this is if this is like the worst thing that the guy who's like selling out the program can come up with. I'm like, all right, well, not too bad. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break. Come back and uh, briefly discuss basketball. Father's 
All right, so Michigan loses to Michigan State by a final score of 53 to 59. The final two points are the most pointless points that have ever been scored in a basketball game. No, because the line was 4.5. So if you oh, bet on well, this game. Yeah. Now, you, now you sound like Craig. <laughs> and I don't have any analysis of this game that's not make shots. I don't. And... Now, there are some game, some teams that are able to overcome the kind of shooting that Michigan had in this game. And honestly, Michigan nearly did. They played an excellent defensive game. They really gave up very little um, <clears throat> at the rim, but they're 4 of 19 in the mid-range, and they're 3 of 20 from 3. And you can't win games like that. The end. Well, I mean, part of it is they got in a big hole, and they almost got out of it. But, well, I mean, how was, did they get in a big hole? They like Dickinson kicks it out to Joey Baker three times for open threes in the first half, and they some of those weren't open. I mean, they were open. I mean, they're closeouts. Was, they're yeah, they're open for Joey Baker. I thought like, the offense was too sped up in the first half, and everything. Well, they, they there forced is a few things, and then they didn't. Like the second half was much more under control, and they moved the ball better, and actually, those shots were open. Well, and I think we do have to talk about Hunter Dickinson having sort of a Quinn Hughes kind of year where he came back to Michigan and he just thinks he's better than everybody else. And he's not playing the way he should play. So that first half, how many times did Hunter Dickinson get good post position before catching the ball? And how many times did he actually go to the rim instead of just settling for either a face up jumper or like a one dribble hook from outside of the re- outside of the region where they would call that a shot at the rim? Like one or two. Yeah. Wait, what? I what? mean, at the beginning of the game, it was the right shot because every time you fainted inside, they freaked out no, and ran under it the is, rim. It is, but it was it not the not. right shot after that. No, I mean, Hunter Dickinson did this, you know, against Kentucky. He did it against Virginia. His first shot of the game is a lazy jumper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to, to go in the post. He's just like, oh, I'll shoot this. And, like, you got to make people work. And I just don't think Hunter Dickinson is doing that this year. Like his usage is, is, you know, through the roof, but he's had a major backslide in his efficiency. Like in tier A plus B games, he's shooting 55% from the floor, which is okay, but it's not what he was last year. Yeah. And I feel like it's only going to get worse from here because, and also like the tier A plus B this year is eight games versus 23 last year. And those games were much tougher because this league is. Not that good, and I know Michigan played Virginia. I know I know they played Kentucky. I know they played UNC. So problem is, is that he got stuffed in a trash can against UNC, right? Like he yeah. lost that matchup decisively. Yep. And I just, I don't know. He's supposed to be the best player on the floor. He, he wasn't yesterday. He wasn't against Michigan State, and he hasn't been in Michigan's biggest games. And I'm just like. You have a team built around a star, and he's not really performing like that in your most important games. And it's like, all right, well. I mean, he needs to come down and demand the ball on the block and then work from there. because Well, he's not really getting it in the deep post because he just sets up outside the paint. And then he's fairly content just to take jumpers or or not really even threaten the, the rim. And I'm just. I mean, that's a problem. I don't know. You're right. But that's what that's what they need to do, and that's what they did more later in the second half. And he also, I thought, waited 
on his kickouts until the double team actually committed. The, the couple you were talking about with Joey Baker, I thought that he passed it out so fast that the guy could pivot and get back and at least get a hand in the face. In the second half, I mean, he's so tall. There's no one. He can hold the ball above his head, and it's like a teenager holding the ball away from children. Like, they can't jump up and get it. So he can wait till the double team comes and kick the ball out, and then there's actually space. And then you can have, like, a second pass on a, on a rotation or something. But there, that's just not what happened early on, and that's what led to some of the offensive kind of slogginess, I thought. So... Yeah, I mean, basketball is every inch counts game, of course, but, like... Um, when the when those guys committed and he passes out to Baker, those are clean shots. You expect that's that's what you're expected to get, right? The ball goes out to Baker. Baker takes a, a three. The closeout's not going to get there in time. Like that is what you expect to happen. Or like the the play I focused on in the recap was, you know, he gets it out to Buffkin after the sec- after the second guy commits. Buffkin swings it around to Terrence Williams. Williams has a wide open shot. So that second pass is there too. They. Yep. They had that all game. They just kept on missing. And, like, you can defer on what's a wide-open shot, but if you have a full second before help can actually get to you and prevent you from taking the shot, you have an open three-pointer. I think out of the 20 three-pointers they took last night, 17 or 18 of them were threes that were relatively open and you expect a guy to make, you know, his 40%, 50% clip. I think we need to face facts about the... The roster right now. I mean, you got Buffkin shooting thirty-one percent. You got Doug McDaniel shooting thirty-two percent. You got Terrence Williams shooting thirty percent. Like, other than Baker and Jet Howard, you don't really have plus shooters on this roster. And I mean, I I don't know. It just you you expect Buffkin to do better, but right now he's just not. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what you really expect that of Doug McDaniel. But well, they're all so young, right? I mean, like Buffkin's basically in his first year playing. I mean, he played the little bit last year, but not a ton. And he's and also now, a Harris Levert guy who's a super young for his class. Well, there you go. And and McDaniel is, is should not have been the point guard this year, but he was forced into it due to you know unfortunate circumstances. And Jed has played pretty well, especially for you know a, a true freshman. Um, he had, you know, some struggles yesterday, and and I mean that that's why I hate going there. It's like it's their Super Bowl every year, and and Michigan struggles with that man, that environment a, a decent amount, and and the and the and the calls get a little uneven, and you know, so it, that's just the way that it is. And you, I don't if think you this don't was a rest game though. There there, there have been rest well, so, games in Breslin, but that's not so what find this one. What I mean is, like, the first part of the game, it's a wrestling match. And mm-hmm. then the second quarter, so to speak, is a touch foul time. And so, and Michigan's not in a rhythm because of things that they're doing and they're, and it's on them. But they're also having to pull, adjust to two different kinds of games. It that's a, that's a tough thing. And I didn't think mentally that they looked really prepared. The second half, it looked like they slowed things down and played a lot better from the offensive end and, and got the ball inside and, and just didn't go is too fast in in certain ways the way they did in the first half but all right so here's the thing is that this year they're three of 20 from three last year breslin three of 19 year before that seven of 22 which is almost okay but it's still less than a 30 year shot the year before that they're five of 23 year before that these are great (laughs) those are all those are all horrible performances yeah year before that eight of 22 year before that six of 15 so we got four straight years of garbage shooting percentage, uh, garbage shooting percentages 
at Breslin. What corresponds with that? Well, <laughs> last time Michigan had a good shooting performance at Breslin, Xavier Simpson was the point guard. I mean, he was the point guard for the 5 of 23 performance, but you've got you know, four straight situations where you have a uh, freshman or first-year point guard at Breslin. They're not ready for it, and the team doesn't get in good spots, and they don't get shots up and down. And I just don't, I don't know. Like, I, I am so tired of having a new point guard every year. I am <laughs> so tired of it. Like they had Simpson for forever and they had Derek Walton for forever. And since then it's just been a revolving door. And I don't really think you can build a great team with that being like a constant theme. Like Michigan had some pretty good teams in there, but it just feels like there's no one to rely on when it's like, okay, we need to get a shot. We need to have someone break down this defense. And it just kind of felt like, I don't know. I, I you're seeing some good things from Doug McDaniel. But he's still shooting thirty nine percent from two. He had turnovers early. I think he had three turnovers in the first half yesterday. I mean, I mean, he just... was he was horrible. He yeah. was hideous. He had a twenty three zero rating. It's not good. I mean, the, the question was... is, how do you get out of that hole? Because what happens is you have oh, you wait till no next guard, year. So you go and recruit one who's gonna and but like they're recruiting off of hey, who wants to play right away? Right? Frankie's a guy who's like, okay, I want playing time. Obviously. That dude Fuck. wants the ball all the freaking Frankie's time. Frankie's a guy who doesn't want to wear the same jersey two years in a row. Yeah. That's, I guess that's that's the thing. I mean, he's not great for Arizona State, but they're a decent team. And it's just like, he's also shooting under 40% from two. But, like, I don't know. It's just... I mean, you have a good point, Brian. I mean, that's that's a lot of basketball. And if you look at, like, basketball experts, they talk. what do they talk about in tournament time of teams who can win it? Good guard play, good point guard play, you know, taking care of the ball, getting everybody into your offense, getting, you know, being able to settle the game down when it gets crazy. And that's, I mean, they don't have a guy that can do that. You you saw Kobe kind of assert himself a little bit at the end of the game when Michigan was borderline out of it. And he kind of gets them back within, you know, a bucket or two um, by getting to the basket a couple times, making a shot. You know, that hasn't really, he's not really a takeover the game kind of player yet either. It's, it's a little bit jet. At times, you see that, but again, he's a true freshman too. I, I think that there's just a lot of inexperience, and when things click for them, they can be pretty good, especially when they bring the energy on defense. When they I mean that that is encouraging. Like they, yeah. I'm just I'm just concerned that like you know Jet's going to be a one and done, and then it's like you're just kind of treading water because you lose Dickinson, you lose Howard, and then you're just like okay. Well, you know who else looked good? We haven't said anything about is Terrace Reed. Yeah, Terrace Reed was outplayed Hunter Dickinson the first half of this game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when he he can put and the he ball made, on the like floor. two free throws in a row, right? <laughs> well, yeah, he's up to twenty eight percent. I I mean, he's getting fouls on the floor. That's perfect for Terrace Reed. But he was putting the ball on the yeah. floor, and like I, that was that's impressive. I cannot think of a guy his size who is actually driving. Like, is there another player you can think of who does that? Uh, Giannis. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much everybody in the NBA, but yeah, you know, yeah. Well, <clears throat> that's the th- I mean, I, and I think Kobe Buffkin's coming around. I think he's turning into a star. They were they they had one play where he like he dr- he just goes and drives and he gets through when he gets the basket he makes it. The next time State puts a guy in front of him and he draws a foul and then he doesn't they don't they go they go away from it they don't do that again. Like, that was one of the things that you're supposed to be able to do, especially. 
if you can use Hunter Dickinson to draw people out because he can shoot a three, then that should create some space. Like, there's tactical things that they could be building this team around because they have those two guys. To bring it back to Hunter Dickinson, last year in he had a 120 O rating. Great. Uh, that O rating went nowhere in top 100 Kenpon games and top 50 Kenpon games. He was 120, 120, 120. This year, he's 115, 102, 95. So Hunter Dickinson is not playing like a star player against the teams that actually matter. And until that gets fixed, this team is going nowhere. And we're halfway into the season-ish, and I just it feels like a lost cause. And That's where my point from earlier sort of stands, is that like their schedule right now, is they have games that are... Winnable. I mean, this Iowa game, I think, is kind of big because if they can go one of two between State and Iowa and then they get Northwestern and they go to Maryland, who apparently everyone is beating up on, including Michigan, and then they get Minnesota. So you have another week or two where and a couple games where guys can kind of develop and you're you're kind of yep. expecting maybe, maybe not from Doug, but from Kobe. Right. Because, I mean, if he has, an I ice guess, game, but on the flip side of this, there's really not many opportunities to get good wins in the league. There are still they have Purdue that's a different, and Ohio State. That's a different at home. question. So those are two teams that are starting to look like, you know, at least four seeds yeah, you know, like, and above. Uh, and you get both. What is that what is Zach Eady gonna do to this version of Hunter Dickinson? <laughs> like, I don't know what's wrong with, with Dickinson, but he's not playing like he's played in the past. I don't know, last year he's they got Eady in foul trouble and one going away in that game with Jaden well, Ivey. Good luck good luck with that shooting eighteen foot jumpers. Like yeah. <laughs> Like, that's not going to happen. I mean, it's very frustrating because you, you, you get this guy back and you're excited about it, and he regresses mm-hmm. very badly. So, you, I mean, and then Juwan Howard's supposed to be the, the post-whisperer, and I just don't know what's going on with that. But anyway, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens against Iowa. See you guys. Thank you for listening to the MGO Podcast. I'm Seth Fisher, along with Brian Cook and David Nasterdak. And if the takes weren't hot enough, email david at mgoblog.com. Thank you.